Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome back to another episode of Coaching Inside the Box. Philippe, Andy, and Andrew here, just the three of us, to dance and sing and share some wonderful good news about soccer, soccer coaching, soccer culture, and how it all comes together to make kids brave, creative leaders for life. That's a brilliant intro because, you know, dance and sing, you know, because uh, I heard yesterday about this Beatles song that I had never heard about before, and it's a closet number one hit, and I couldn't believe I'd never heard about it before. And let, let, me, let me kind of whistle, sing it to is you. The, is that a joke already? I'll, I'll whistle it and sing it. <laughs> see if you recognize it. Ready? <laughs> and it's called I Hate You. I hate you. I, I don't even get it. Hey, Jude. Oh, Hey, Jude. Is the song. <laughs> Andy's no, whistling no, no, so, no. yeah. Hey, Jude. Jude. All right, got it. You. Man. Woo, can we start a pot yeah. over? <laughs> big, big boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we got some episodes that have been sitting in the vault for a while, uh, released last week. We're back in the chair today to record some more. These will be released within the ne- this one will be released in the next day or so. Um, things are looking up for all of those listeners who keep sending us messages. I'm hearing from listeners uh, left and right. It seems like every time we put out um, uh, put out content, uh, asking questions, and that's always fun. Philippe, Andy, uh, how's the last I don't know five or six days been since we've been together uh, trading stories and talking about soccer coaching development? Well, you know, um, okay. <laughs> it's, it's like any any part of life. If you're fully engaged and you're really pushing the edge of the envelope, there's good days and there's bad days, right? You know, and I think that's the nature of a well-lived life and a, and, a, and a, you know certainly a, a great soccer career. You know, if you're really going for it and you're you're treading into the edge of the unknown in every practice there's going to be a lot of screw-ups, and you've got to welcome those. I quoted you. you you'll probably be proud. In, in my training session just the other day, there's a kid that, that I coach, and I've coached since he was, I don't know, four or so, and Philippe trains him, and he is so freaking hard on himself. Like, like if he makes even a kind of, sort of 10% mistake, I mean, he's yelling at himself and beating himself up and smacking himself in the head and saying, I'm terrible, and Philippe's going, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I, I, I yelled at him. I said, hey, Will. The man that never made a mistake never made anything, and he just looked at me kind of funny. Because I remember I have that that voice of you saying that in your head that you were constantly beating that 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 quote to a uh, to a drum. But like, it's funny sometimes as coaches, like we exist entirely to give our kids a platform to fail, encourage them to fail, embrace failure, and as a result, typically have kids that have a really high self concept. But occasionally we get, in my experience, kids that have um, uh, a, a really a really high level of, of intensity and competition and competitive fire or whatever it is that actually makes it difficult for them to 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 be involved in failure and embrace failure and, and not have failure 
kick their their self-esteem down a notch um and obviously those kids need this more than any other kid right um if they've got a natural pension for that but the the coaching puzzle you know having done this now for 20 years or whatever it's been um is not is not it's not cookie cut at all and you always get these kids that that surprise you and you have to really really work hard to figure out how to move them in the right direction yeah, you, know, and, and, uh, you know, you asked, you know, how I've been doing and, and, and I'm re- re- rewriting my second book. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I wrote it at a trying time in my life and I think I, I didn't do as good a job as I would have done, you know, had I have had just a little bit more time to sit down and think through, think through those things. You know, and I, I, I rewrite a page and for some reason, you know, there's, there's pages that I just can't get right. And I have to dig down in and I make mistakes and my mistakes and it doesn't sound right and I scrap it and I go back and I start over again. And, you know, that perseverance is, I think, what makes a, a player great. You know, in our philosophy, you know, you've got to try that drag Maradona thousands of times and you fail and fail and fail and fail. Then eventually you're able to create this incredible illusion that's never been created at the professional level before. You know, and it makes the move almost a given that it's going to work and create twice, three, four times as much space on the exit path from the move because the player that you've used the move on has actually run another, an extra yard in the wrong direction. So they've got an extra yard to make back after they finally figure out that you're not going where you first indicate, you indicated you're going. But the point is that it's the failure that makes the success. And most of us don't have the perseverance, you know, to, you know, work through that failure because it's negative, right? You know, it doesn't feel good to fail and fail and fail. But if we remember that each failure is actually a step on the road to success, we can actually feel good about our failures. Hang with me through this analogy for a second, because I want to build off of that, Andy. I um, uh, I love these unscripted beginning stages of the show before Andy shares his jokes, by the way. Um, I would say that my my specialty from a coaching perspective is the younger age groups, right? So the, the beginning stages of, of our curriculum and our philosophy and methodology. And um, <laughs> we all hear learning a, a second language. And everybody always talks about if you're going to learn a second language, it's so much easier to do it as a young child because your brain is so much more open to uh, to accepting that that new information, making it intuitive and part of who you are. Also, young kids are more willing to make mistakes related to grammar or whatever it might be. Right? Um, I, I think that I think that that feeds over too from a legends perspective, specifically from a willingness to embrace failure perspective because us as coaches when we're teaching a drag maradona and trying to help the kids figure out how to do that under pressure increasing pressure in games and and practices and whatnot we have to change it from um the success is completing the maradona the drag maradona under pressure and you have to change it and you have to make the success about something really small early on in it in in the skill or just trying the skill and I find that younger kids are much more willing to say, oh, okay, you've just changed the game on this coach, and now I know that all I have to do is try it, and I've been successful. As kids get older, they become significantly less willing to um, consider a failure as success. Um, and so the younger they are, they're more willing to, to consider that failure a success because the coach told them to, and they're in people-pleasing mode um, from a development perspective, and then they get good at it. And then by the time they get older and they care about it, they're 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 mostly in control of when they're successful and when they're not. No, I, that's, I think that's, that's interesting. Huge. I think that's huge, and I 
I think you touched a point that is great. It's not about the result. And a lot of times we, we praise the kids' success in terms of results even too much. We make, they, they score a goal, we celebrate like they won the World Cup. And then they try something, we're like, yay, good job. And then, yeah, we can't, we can't expect the kid to have a different, not have a different you know, reaction to whether they had the success or not. So when they don't have the success, even though you say, hey, good job, you're not saying at the same uh, intensity and they feel lesser and then that already hurts their confidence. They notice that. So it's celebrating, you know, like you said, on the younger ages, got to get them to try. They, their objective, their result is the trying. And obviously in practice, you're going to teach them to do it co technically correct. You can point out a, one thing or two during the game, you know, do this, you know, turn your foot a little more this way or whatever, but you got to celebrate the attempt because that's the goal. You get the kids to try and not be afraid to, afraid to try throughout the process. They're going to find a success. Yeah, and you have to celebrate that more than the other. It's actually the reverse Correct. of what you just said, right, which is the point that you're, that you're making. Um, and oftentimes, even when they're successful, I find myself correcting uh, more so because if they have success without the skill in front Correct. of it, then, 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 then I don't want to celebrate it at all because I'm celebrating behaviors that we don't want to repeat. Correct. So... so uh, I, I forget which one specifically made this point, but in one way or another, all three of these authors make this point. Uh, Angela Duckworth, Carol Dweck, and, and Sir Ken Robinson, uh, I think it might have been Ken Robinson that made this specific point, is that when tested, uh, young kids as a group test out much higher on the genius, the potential genius level. You know, And as they get older, our educational system... Beats it out of them. Beats the genius out of them because they're expected to conform, you know, and regurgitate the answers that, that our teachers and our system, you know, wants to hear instead of going on their own path and being encouraged to be unique and, and being one-of-a-kind individuals, you know, and, and how sad is that? Well, that's the point I was making last week when I was creating new slogans for ECNL. Is it's that right? It's that this the educational apparatus or the the conformed apparatus with in education or the league structure, like it's literally limiting kids. It's literally lowering everybody's everybody's ceiling. Um, and to me, it's plain as day. And the fact that that not enough people can see it to make adjustments and changes is is, is disappointing and frustrating for sure. I, I was looking at a photograph, you know, just yesterday of one of the, the you know, the, uh, the the local club that is part of the ECNL, one of the, you know, one of the two clubs that are part of the ECNL. And, 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 and you know, their, their coach is, is proudly posing with the team after the team has won two games over the weekend and qualified for the national finals. And, you know, and, and literally his whole forward line and his creative midfield players, you know, played for our club a year ago. You know, and, you know, he's getting all the accolades yeah. now, you know, and, uh, you know, and he's not a coach. He's a recruiter. Yeah, yeah. You know, but he happens to have, you know, the power of the ECNL to get college ex exposure behind him. So he can recruit people because he can say, you're just not going to get the looks if you stay with the club that actually is developing you and is making you great. So at this point in time, basically, you've got to make a choice. You know, do you want to get that college scholarship, play D1, maybe play later on the national team, or do you want to develop? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's understandable in a lot of ways. 
you know, because we're an instant gratification society. I don't, and people choose. I don't blame the kids and the parents nearly as much as they, I, they, they I, as choose I blame, to lose the development. As they blame U.S. soccer and the powers that be that, that, you know, the U.S. women's national team, a perfect example of it. They aren't what they used to be. And I think that that downward slide is only going to continue. And I think one of the biggest culprits for that, for, for what we can control, we can't control what Spain's doing or England's doing, but what we can control, the biggest culprit of that is the structured, formalized ECNL um, uh, pay to play super league um, good old boys uh, country club soccer and that's what it is like if you if you've got the right political connections you're in and, and like i just think but, that's but even when it isn't country club soccer you know because they find a way if they've got a brilliant player that we've developed i don't mean country club it. soccer in, in terms of that the kids have to pay i mean country club soccer in that ecnl is the country club and the clubs that have the right political connections to will themselves into this inside of the country club are, are i uh, think admitted i, I don't honestly mean the think i honestly think the biggest problem is the college coaches themselves and uh, you know maybe ncaa and AIA in, uh, as a whole in the sense that you rely on the girls' side on what sixty something clubs to for your recruiting in the United States. So in the whole country, three hundred plus million, you're relying on sixty something. It's a really small pool. I remember when I I play, played for Fluminense, they had a map of Brazil, and they have little pins. You could only see pins because that's everywhere they had a scout in the country. So the most remote place in Brazil, in the middle of nowhere, where it's dirt poor, they have somebody they're there. They're looking for players. They're looking for players. So yeah. they're not outsourcing, you know, the recruiting. They are doing themselves, and they're doing all over. Because, like, that's what the mentality in Brazil is. You don't need to find 100. If you find the one, you're set. You yeah. know, you sell, like, Palmeiras sold Gabriel Jesus, what, five, six years ago for you know, 30 million, and now they sold Hendrick for 60. So <laughs> they, in five, six years, they found two, you know, one every few other years, and they're the richest club in Brazil, not uh, only because of all the investment, uh, but because they find those players. The, and but, the Billy but I don't think the problem is as, as bad in Brazil as it is here, because, you know, I do believe that, you know, from everything you've said, that the clubs, the professional clubs that recruit these players, when they get them, they focus more on the creative side of the oh, game. Oh, 100%. They you try know, to develop. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem here is that when the ECNL clubs get these players... Our culture kicks you know, in. The, but that's uh, what the, I'm saying. The, the need to win Yeah, that's our culture, in. yeah. You know, and so, you know, uh, you know I, I went to watch uh, a couple of games, ECNL games, with um, you know, one of the ECNL clubs locally here a couple of months ago. And, you know, and, and I literally did not see any of our players who were absolute dribbling phenoms use a move, you know, to try and beat a player. You know, when a year ago they would have been using multiple moves, beating two and three players and scoring unbelievable goals. What? They still were the better players on the, on the field. You could see that they had a lot more going on, you know, in terms of individual skill than the other players they were playing with and against. But they had lost an absolute ton because in just a few short months, their coaches had gotten into their heads that they shouldn't be trying that legend stuff here. 
Basically, you shouldn't try and be a Ronaldinho or a martyr what was, when what you was, play at that level. What was it Sir Ken Robertson said? Kids, when they're younger, uh, test higher on a genius scale until they get into the formal education system. It sounds exactly a lot that. like that. It's yeah. exactly that. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, the, the formal educational system involves the need to win once you graduate from school and get a traditional job. You know, and the formal soccer system involves the need to win, you know, as a youth club mm -hmm. in order to get into the finals of the ECNL, in order to get a college scholarship, to get on a college team where the need to win is paramount. So now they have years and years and years of the need to win between age 14 and 22, 23 when they graduate and they've lost virtually all their creativity by the time they graduate, you know, and it's absolutely criminal. And I honestly... It it's funny because I do a lot of private session and small group training. And when I, it's very common that I have kids coming to me to work on skill and, you know, try to be more creative, try to be more skillful and get more touches and all that. And, you know, we work an hour a week or whatever. But then they go back to their team practices. One they touch, go back two to touch. their game. One touch, two touch. Sideways and backwards. And I, totally, I mean, totally I, wasted, isn't it? I, to <laughs> I, 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 I talk to the parents, I talk to the kids, and, like, they get it, they agree, and, like, I say, hey, even though the coach is saying something, you know, you got to think not about the team because you're here for teams your child's development, team right? Comes, teams come and go. Yeah, exactly. This, this you're not going to be in the same team forever. You're going to go to college. You're going to go whatever. You got to think on your own. You got to be more creative. You got to be more skillful. And if your coach yells at you, who cares? Like, that's kind <laughs> of what the mentality – but. It's so hard. Some kids, you know, start doing a little more, and the coach. Some coaches will like, oh, they're, you know, they're working on it. That they're, they're getting good at it, and kind of allow. But like most of the times, you know, the kid makes one two mistakes. Yeah, hey, one touch, touch. The kid is not. It's very rare that a kid, a kid, will break the adult. The I, especially like here in the U.S., I feel like Brazil, the kids are a ton more rebel. They're, you know. They, 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 I did it many times. Coach would tell me something. I would say something back. You know, I shouldn't, obviously. But that's the attitude that most kids have down there because you play all the time on the streets. You know, it's, it's a different culture like we all, always talk about, which is negative in a side, but it's good on the other side. You, 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 in your own development, it's good for you in terms of soccer abilities. But, I'd yeah, like here it's different. I'd like the next time you get a kid from outside the club, I want you to take a different strategy. I want you to get your whistle out, get a couple of cones out, and I want you to work on every t roll the ball to the kid, and, and every time as it's just about to get to him, I want you to blow your whistle and yell, stick it in the mixer, and then have him kick it really long. And then after the session, explain to the parents that that's probably more appropriate to fit into the team that they currently play in. So, so here's, here's an observation. Uh, you know, a year ago, I was deep into, you know, um, you know, picking out kids and training them on, for example, the drag Maradona until they could, they understood and they could do the drag Maradona. You know, even within our club, I felt it was um, a semi-wasted exercise because after they left me and went back to their regular teams, the coaches in our club weren't prescribing that you have to use this move during games. And I don't know if you even remember this, but we would work on a move, and then in the game right after we'd worked on a move, or the games right after we'd worked on a move when we were kids, 
I made you guys do the moves. Yeah. You know, I said, every time you do, you know, you touch the ball, you get one touch and then you've got to do the Maradona turn. And I didn't even know how to teach drag Maradona in those days. So it was straight into the Maradona turn, you know, and, you know, I could teach it and I could prescribe it in every single match that your team played when you were, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. If I needed to um, reinforce what we were working on in practice, I made it an order that you had to do it. Otherwise, I'd pull you off and I'd talk to you. And I'd say, listen, you don't have an option. You know, it's not about winning this game. You've got to do what I'm telling you to do, you know, which is all about your individual ability under pressure to be incredibly creative. And I realized that to a certain degree, because our coaches, you know, weren't seeing the sessions I was running and maybe I only had two of their players, you know, in these sessions, you know, they weren't asking their players on the weekend to do these things, you know, or mandating that their players do these things. And so the transfer that I thought would have occurred didn't occur from my practices into the games. So you have to have a coach that's committed to teaching these moves, that is actually coaching the team. You can't go to, you know, like Philippe is running, an individual practice session and learn these moves and hope for anything like the transfer into the game situation if the coach isn't totally on board, you know, with mandating to all their players and all their players are getting that training, you know, because if he says you've got to do a drag Maradona and only three players on his team have been going to Philippe's drag Maradona practice, the rest of the guys are going to say, what's a drag Maradona? And so, you know, we have to have a whole program doing this and everybody has to be on board. And the person that's teaching the moves has to be the one coaching the game on the weekend. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, and, and so I can understand, you know, the ECNL coaches, you know, not having a clue how to coach Legends players, you know, because... You know, they've left Matt Iverson, who does a great job at teaching the moves. And now all of a sudden he's got these players that know moves that he doesn't have a clue how to teach. So he doesn't even know this move enough to say, do a drag Maradona. He's not, he's not worried about it. He's worried about all the tactics, all the formations, all the zones. Have you seen the, the, game, the field map nowadays? There's like a ton of rectangles and squares. It's like it's geometry. It's like you zone. Do you know what? Where's the zone fourteen? I don't know what zone fourteen is, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And like <laughs> the thing about it is like the coaches. Zone fourteen. How are you gonna the, tell a twelve year old you gotta do this on the, zone fourteen? The coaches, Where's zone five? The, the coaches running those youth sessions that way are so proud of it. I mean, they stand up there with Peacock Syndrome times 10, like, oh my gosh, yeah, like, we've been really working on zonal stuff and training a lot lately, and I'm like, you big old dummy, <laughs> like, for the love of everything that's holy, like, golly. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's pattern plays times. Uh, I mean, you, you know, got to tell the kid, you got to memorize all these things in school, and now you got to memorize 17 zones on the football pitch like, every great. every great team that's ever existed you know whether that be brazil in 1970 or in 1982 etc etc you know every great team that's ever existed existed because they didn't use pattern plays they didn't play predictable zone play you know that they, they did things that were improvisational that were genius that nobody could force just them. watch the goals just watch the goals that in, in those world cups like even Argentina in 86, what Maradona did, 
It's nothing well, scripted. Listen to the Brazilian, even Argentina in 1986. <laughs> I mean, I, I love me some American football. Like, I love the Chiefs. I love watching the Chiefs. I love watching Mahomes. I love all of well, that. Well, why do you like but watching what Mahomes? what I love, yes, I see your point. But what I love, and I've always loved, all, all the way back to a kid I put this together, the difference between American football and soccer is the difference between a positive culture and a negative culture. Football is top down. The coaches sit up in a glass box with a headset on and tell the players what to do. It's war with no creativity. None of those, none of those things attached to it. Obviously, Mahomes is enormously creative, but it takes a special generational talent to have that creativity within him. If you look at the other quarterbacks in the league, they're not playing that way, yeah. right? Um, and and so and then and soccer, it's not that at all, and yet. Yet in our ECNL level, you know, and we're not mentioning any of these coaches by name, obviously, but like we've gone and watched their sessions. We see their social media stuff and they're so proud of freaking zone 14. And like they're spending all of their time trying to turn soccer the most creative um, uh, uh, player led game that exists Bingo. and turn it into some scientific American football pile of garbage. And they're proud of it. Like that's the part that just baffles me and I smile and nod when I meet these very lovely coaches because I know them all they're great people um, they're just donkeys when uh, it comes but to what teaching they don't the realize game. is that this you know this this focus away from massive creativity and improvisation doesn't just end when the kids walk off of the soccer field yeah, you know, yeah because yeah. you know if, if you're brought up as a genius this goes back to you know uh, Sir Ken Robinson or Angela Duckworth and you know and and you know these authors that have pointed this out again and again and again you know success is a combination of grit but it's it's the creativity that goes with the grit that creates an animal that is unbeatable because you know you've got the ability to improvise on the fly do absolutely brilliant unpredictable things you know and dominate the opponent you know and that's what the great brazilian sides did throughout the decades you know and it's it's what they're not doing now unfortunately you know as much as you know as Philippe, you want Endrick to be you know the latest pele he ain't. I don't see it. You know, he'd do a few nice things, but he's not Pele. He's no, not no, nobody, nobody's you Pele. Know, you know, well, he's compare. not Romario. That's the problem. You, you know, can't <laughs> compare a kid to Pele. He's not he the original Ronaldo. You know, Danny, you know, he, he, he's, he's not even, you know... Let's, let's Andy, he's Leicester 17 player. years old and he just won the fifth best league in the world carrying the team in his shoulder. How can you say that he's not anything special? Yeah, but and, but he's, start, and he's starting for Brazil. He, those listening at home, welcome to our, years just old. About our text chat. You watch him play three backwards. times. You watch he's, him play three times. I, you know, the, what's happened, he's about to start going backwards because he's playing in, in philosophies that do not match his current skills. So he's not going to improve between the age he is now. What's he, 17, 18? 17. 17. He's not going to improve his kid you know by the time he's 23 you know he'll have been exposed to so many mediocre coaches that think they know how to win games that he's just not going to improve. but don't you think he he's, has a higher chance than the other 17 year olds that are not as special as he today's is right? higher chance uh, yeah, is sure. a low chance for, for sure T today's higher chance for sure is a low that chance. but does is he usually banished to zone 14 or what zone does he play in uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The only zone that I know is 14. That's the only one I learned. He'll be hot potato in the ball, you know, before you know it, you know. And, and that's the sad thing is the system beats it out the of talent. the individual, you know. And, you know, this, you know, here we've got all these kids that can be, you know, a, a Monet, you know, they, they can be, you know, a, a Picasso, you know. And, you know, and what do they become? They become a ditch digger, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's really, really sad. You know, the golden age of improvisation, you know, I, I'm really afraid of this. I think it's behind us. It's not in our club. You know, we have kids doing this every weekend, hundreds of them, you know, out there improvising like crazy. And they build deep, solid, brave, creative leadership character as a result of being willing to take risk and having mentors that say, go for it, kid. You know, go paint your picture on this field. You know, do something really original, really artistic, you know, and, you know, and just believe in yourself. I don't know, you're sending more and more like my grandpa every day, Andy. Like He's my, so negative. My, my, my grandpa was, I walked He's uphill so both ways, barefoot in the snow to school, and just this romanticizing uh, of the past. We'll, we'll see. I, 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 am I negative or am I romantic? <laughs> you are romantic, but when it comes to Endrick, you are very negative. There's everybody, no romance everybody. in your perspective. Well, the Brazilian I is negative. <laughs> Listen, he made me care about Brazil national team again because I didn't, I didn't care anymore after 2006. I was like, eh, hey, in whatever. Tw in 26, Andy will be rooting for Brazil as much as you are and as much as every Brazilian in, in the United States. Of course. States during the but, of for course. Me, but for we, me, we've lost it. our true north. <laughs> you know, over the last 20 years, you know, you know, last time they won the World Cup was 2002. The last time they were truly brilliant was 2002. We've lost our true north. The north star has disappeared we out were, of the heavens. We were brilliant in 2006, but there were so many problems in the World Cup. You guys understand that in the World Cup, they had 100,000 people every training session. And the, the coach would start doing some sort of training and the crowd would start boo, booing and he would put finishing or just scrimmage so the, <laughs> the crowd sweet. could see <laughs> Ronaldo scoring goals Adriano scoring goals they go like <sighs> so literally that World Cup was like that yeah we lost but that team that team was the 2006 team was was a was a scene not to win because that team was so good. So longest unscripted intro ever. We haven't even touched the notes. In oh, front let's of keep AD. let's keep going and then just do the next episode. Of <laughs> 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 you know, you know, you might be right, Philippe. You know, it it may be better once in a while just to off the cuff it. You know, yeah, yeah. and and you know, this is what we ask our players to do. You know, is look at the current equation and do something wildly creative that nobody expects. You know. And just from doing that, you're probably going to make it work, you know, because it's not scripted. It's not anything that anybody's seen before. It's that willingness to go out on a ragged edge, you know, and do something new. And, you know, the old saying in, in uh, you know, in, in creative society is, you know, if you're the player that always does what's been done before, you're never going to invent something new. And, you know, I've got a whole list of quotes in my first book of experts in their field, the best in the what world. Was it Bill in their Gates field. said 64K should be enough for everybody? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's, it's not enough to put a postage stamp on an envelope these days, 64K. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but back in the day, he thought that was the unreachable gold standard. Well, and I, I, that, that, is, that attitude, I mean, I know I'm just railing on ECNL, but really I'm not railing on ECNL. I'm railing on uh, standardized education formalized education as just as sir ken robinson did but like it's that it's that perspective of like we have the knowledge so we're going to bring it to the players or bring it to our students and 64k is enough and just by doing it that way and setting the structure up in the way that we've done it we take we take the stars being the limit and the potential for these kids and we drop it and and i do think i do think you are right andy in a perspective of 
the uh, the past didn't have this formalized um, uh, environment that, uh, that that exists now. We weren't as professional in the way that the game was taught in the past as, as, as it is now on a truly global scale, right? Like we talk about that all the time in Brazil, the kids don't have access to, um, to the same street culture that they did 30 years ago. Um, so, so I do, I do think that the next, the next, uh, magical genius, um, uh, creature unicorn is going to somewhat have to exist, have to, have to develop in a bubble somewhere. It's going to have to, it's going to take a special environment, um, that, that doesn't fit the mold. And everybody seems to be from a globalistic perspective, trying to fit into the same type of mold across the world. It's going to have to, it's going to have to emerge from something like that. Um, it's going to have to emerge from, you know, to, to, put ourselves on the ragged edge here and claim that we're the, the, the world's latest and greatest, but it's going to have to come from a facility like this, from a club that doesn't have access to ECNL, from a community that, 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 um, um, that is just so different um, that it, it enables them to, to develop in a way that, that, that even... But, but, but we're not different. This is, what's, this is what... People just don't get this. They, you know, they say, "Well, your club's out on the ragged edge. You're doing all of these new and and you know, you're you're, you're creating environments that have not existed. You know, and you're state of the art, and it's untested, it's unproven, and you know, and and these systems, these new systems that that other people are introducing, there's been equivalents all through. You know, the WM formation of the fifties and sixties. You know, Charles Hughes and his long ball method. You know, in the library downstairs, his book is there. You know, you know, I, I started reading that book and I bought into it a little bit at the start, you know, and then I realized, boy, this is not, you know, not working, you know, for England and for the English players, you know, and England went into the doldrums for decades because of Charles Hughes and this, you know, we have to minimize the touches taken up the field, you know, get the ball long and into the danger area and then win it back. High pressure, win it back, you know. And so all this stuff has been tried again and again and again, you know. And I go back to what I'm saying, though, is that, you know, people look at us and they say, you've got this newfangled idea. And I look at them and I say, no, it's not. It's street soccer. It's always worked. It's created geniuses. Street soccer is what created... You know, Pelé, Garincha in the in the fifties and sixties. You know, it was growing up in crowded environments and being improvisational. You know, and what we've done is we've built beat the improvisation out of these players because we've formalized coaching education. And just like Sir Ken Robinson saying, Ken Robinson says, we've formalized you know actual academic education to the point where. It's frightening that these geniuses that when they're tested at age four and five, you know, are doing all the things that geniuses do, you know, and by the time they get to age 10, it's gone, never to return. You know, it's crazy that we're doing that in our academic system and in, in our soccer system, especially in the light of what's happening around the world, which is you can do just about anything you want to do and make a living at it these days. You know, it's just incredible. There's so many people that are making a living out of being a social media influencer. I mean, they're buying planes and crashing them, you know, just for the 30 seconds of footage that they can get. And the millions of... Was that a British guy? It was some guy in Arizona. Yeah, well, I thought he was British. Did you see the guy that all the time he's paying $500,000 for people to stay a month in a room? And they don't know each other. Just sit there and not do anything. To create social media. I mean, your point is well taken. 
you know, you can do just about anything and make yeah. money at it these days if you're creative, yeah. if you get out of the box. You know, and obviously the, the people that are able to identify what has worked in the past and what hasn't worked and take the elements of what has worked worked and 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 throw away the elements of what hasn't they're the ones that are going to be more successful in their genre you know and that's what we've done is we've taken all the elements of street soccer of of the the places and the skills and the pressures you know that have produced the greatest players that have produced the biggest diamonds of world soccer and we've reworked that reimagined it to use a you know, um, you know, a, a, a book name from Tom Peters, um, Reimagine, one of my favorite authors, because the guy's totally out of the box. Buy his books. You'll never regret it. You know, and we, you know, we, we've reimagined, you know, what happened organically in the streets of Brazil. And we've put it into a formal structure. We've, we've reproduced it, it in a way that fits in American culture. That's Correct. exactly right. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't going to happen here unless we did package it this way. You know, and it was wasn't genius you know of course we're producing players now that do genius things but it wasn't genius it was just a process of simple logic you emulate what the world's best players did and and you try and emulate that piece of their society you know we can't emulate the poverty we live in the richest country in the world so what we have to do is we have to emulate the circumstances that poverty gave them in which they became the best players in the world, which we can do because we're wealthy enough to put in, in Kansas City, over 100 box soccer courts. You know, so, so what we've done is we've done the intelligent thing within our environment and we've created this wonderfully enjoyable, wildly, wildly fun atmosphere where the kids come in and they get a thousand touches in an hour and a half, thousand shots. You know, you can't help but be a great finisher if you're getting a thousand shots in an hour and a half. You you maximize you maximize what what you're capable of doing, right? And so, like, have we developed a Messi yet? Well, no. I mean, Messi's Messi's Messi is uh, is is is. But we uh, won't because of the environment that we live. Because we're competing with social media. Uh, I see what you're saying. Our kids come two or three times a week. Leo Messi played four hours a day, every day, yeah, seven yeah, yeah. days a week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but you're not going to have a Johnson no, County but, but kid but from created, Kansas City. We've do created that. an environment where kids, within the the, the their their God given abilities and the society the and culture they live in, yeah. the time constraints, and, and they're the as close to Messi as they're going to get. Yeah, the enticing you know yeah. alternatives you know that we're competing with you know um, and that's why we're successful is because every time a kid picks up a soccer ball and hits a great shot into the corner of a box soccer court they get a little squeeze of dopamine you know and it, ooh that felt good you know because in their mind's eye they just hit a 30 yarder into the top corner of the net so they're not just hitting the corner of a box soccer court you know they hit that sweet spot and they you know they felt the power and that thing hits the front wall within inches of the sidewall and it comes back and they get that little squeeze of dopamine but that dopamine is hitting them on the fly to the next shot they're going to take because they know that they've got to get there before the ball hits four walls you know in this tiny 20 by 12 you know, box that we've created, eight foot high, the ball can't escape. And so it's a little squeeze of dopamine while you're on the 
away to hitting your next shot and your next shot and your next shot. And, and so the repetition factor is incredible, but it's not this slow thing you see in the NBA three-point shooting competition. You know, it's not this measured thing, which, you know, you can do in a, in a totally controlled manner from a single point, you know, at the top of the arc. You know, this is this improvisational thing where the ball 60% of the time is dropping and bouncing and coming off of walls and it's hitting you at all different angles and all different heights and you become a fox in the box. And then you put an opponent in the court and you play this mini version of racquetball and it becomes the most amazing head-to-head you know it's like you know bare knuckle fighting you know in 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 a six foot square you know where all you can do is dodge and duck and weave and throw punches you can't run away you can't hide you know you, you know you can't backtrack like so many boxers do you know in in the big championship ring you know, you've literally got to, you know, find a way to slug it out in tight circumstances, you know. And so it's street soccer on drugs. You know, it's street soccer, you know, just with the heat turned up. You know, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I love this analogy. Don't know where I heard it from. I'm sure it's not mine because nothing I do is original. Um, you know, I, I, you know it's, it's like being in, not being in the kitchen with the heat turned up. It's not even like being in the oven. It's like dancing on the hot plate, you know, at maximum, maximum heat, you know. And, and that's what you do in our facilities with our philosophy. You dance on the hot plate every session. If our coaches follow what we're advising them to do, their players are dancing on the hot plate every single shooting session, you know, in a way that they cannot do in any other environment. Makes sense? Yeah, no, and it was funny because I brought a friend. Is that friend. a yes or a no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, brought, I brought a friend here, uh, actually uh, this week to, 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 to practice, you know, um, just hanging out and watching practice. And we did, we did a skill work to, to begin it's with. a Brazilian buddy? Yeah. Then we, then we did 2v2s. I didn't know you had any friends. Oh, I do. More, more than you probably. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Van Dusen told us on the last episode that he's proof that you do have a friend. One friend. One friend. <laughs> well, Andy was born in 19... I think it was 1784. 1901. 1901. Exactly. Yeah. All his friends are dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like we did a skill warm-up, you know, and then we went into 2v2s and like... He was like, whoa, what's, what's happening? No, these two are playing against those two, those two against those two, you know, they score. He had that same visceral oh. reaction that Andy had the first time yeah. he saw 2v2. Well, he kind of knew, well, you, you know. know you were talking about my age, you know, a lot of this philosophy was learned in the trenches in World War, World War I, you know. It's, <laughs> You know, I was there. You know, there's a lot of fighting, a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Well, and you know. narrow, narrow spaces to play soccer in. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. and you had to fight with a bayonet when it got close. You know, <laughs> <Bayonet>. <laughs> uh, but then, but then, yeah. So I and I kept saying, yeah, if they score on this goal, the game never stops. It goes straight into the other goal because I make them score into the outside goals because they're you know 15, they're going to 11, 11. I found out that if we go in the normal futsal indoor goal, they would shoot in the middle of the goal. Uh, you know, when we were playing games outside, so I'm like, huh. Let's go to the black tapes, you know, mm. go to the big go and made the so difference. Did, did, do you do you realize that, you know, that when Andrew played for me and we only trained outdoors or pretty much, you know, most of the year we trained outdoors, the only goal that counted, you know, when Andrew was playing for me, Same. you know, was in the side netting, which, of course, yeah. if you went high into the side netting, it was really narrow. It, the target was really narrow. When because, I, you know, it gets narrower the higher you go. So, you know, you had to go low into the side netting to maximize your chance. Have you noticed that there's on every field here, by, right by the tape, literally 
What is that in inches? You know, there's, there's just you know three feet, four feet. Yeah, there's, you know, there's what, a crack. There's for, a little crack. So let me explain. And I make the boy shoot this. in between the plate. Yeah. yeah. So everybody that's listening to this, you know, what what I mandated, you know, when we started putting these facilities in is, you know, we have basically you know, uh, major arena soccer league goals, you know, in our facilities, you know, but those are too small. I think they're eight by 12. Yeah, they're, they're too small, you know, and they don't, you know, groove the habit of putting the ball into the corner of an outdoor goal. So what we did is we taped an outdoor goal on the boards, and now I only award goals if they go between the post of the muscle goal, the MASL goal, and the tape, which is the you know the corner of the outdoor goal. So what I'm saying, sometimes I make it even smaller because there's a little crack on between the, on the two. Wall. Yeah. So I've literally, it's Instead this of eight much feet to shoot, as they get yeah, better. Four yeah. feet to it's shoot. this. Yeah, yeah. It's this much it's space. Two feet on either side. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so they have to be even more accurate. Yeah. Which I love that because you know, as they get better, you say this is respectful to you. You're so good now that you know we need you to really be accurate. Yeah. You so know? anyway, so then we were doing you know, and I explained what it were, what it was. You know, like you know, they're being creative, working on. You know, all the, the skills, taking people on, passing, moving, you know, doing different runs and all that, defending, pressure, cover, all that, you know, transition. When they lose, they got to go straight away, blah, blah, blah. And he, he understood. And then we went to 4v4, um, you know, at the end. And it was four teams, you know, you score, they make and take it super quick and all that. And the whole point, he, he didn't understand what was going on. He was like, what's happening? But like... You know, they score, they, the kid gets it and the other team is not in yet. They, they sh if they shoot quick, they score. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. So the guys there are coming out. They need to be ready and they need to be stepping high. Otherwise, for 15-year-olds, you know, they get a ball in the box. They place it from there. It's, it's an easy goal. So they got to be ready. They got to be sprinting on the field. And at least one guy needs to be sprinting to the ball to not let the guy shoot. And like the whole time defensively, if you notice, the boys never back up a little bit because when you back up and allow for a pass, it's fine. But here, if you back up, you're allowing for a shot, right? So you can't, you have to, every time you're defending, you got to be super tight. And when you're with the ball, because all the defenders are super tight, you got to play faster. You got to be more skillful. You got to be more creative. Your decision making needs to be faster. So I started telling him all these things and I said see since the ball never goes out and even when they go out they're going out like watching because they might go in right away you see the level of intensity like they're all communicating yelling da, 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 da. like and the whole time I'm like when we go to play games and just watching the warm-up between our team and that happened in Orlando and even the boys pointed out to me hey coach look at that warm-up and like the other team just Passing and moving a little bit, passing and moving a little bit, passing and moving a little bit. And then the most intense part, because I was watching, most intense part was a 3v1 possession. Fucking 3v1. Yeah. <laughs> 3v1 is so easy. It's as intense as it gets, right, for other teams. So, That's it. So know. then I, I was like, okay. And then in the game, my boys run over the other teams because they're not used to that intensity, that pressure. And... Seeing, and it was fun for me to see a friend that knows a ton about soccer seeing and at first because when you look at it you don't put thought into every little thing but as I started addressing every little thing it's like man this is really really good I love it you know and I think that's what most people when they see our philosophy they, they have those responses but they don't get it 
if they would listen to our podcast, they would. So, so just as we're talking, I had an original idea for me. No. You know, and, and so, so you, know, you know this thing about you know, halving the distance between the massive goalpost, the indoor arena soccer league goalpost, mm-hmm. and the outdoor posts that we have taped mm-hmm. onto our walls. Mm-hmm. I realized that you know, we should make the top corner go all the way, even when we half the distance lower down, you know, above the Massel bar level, we should make the top corner go all the way to the Massel post and, and create this, like, you know, super valuable rectangle, you know, in the top corner. Because, you know, that's where the keeper can't get to because of gravity. So, you know, that is the margin of greatness area, you know, and this just occurred to me, you know, we should actually put in you know, with gold tape, you know, a, 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 a square or a rectangle in the top corner that goes all the way to the and regular And the bottom post. corner. And the bottom corner, too. Ah, they can get down to the bottom corner. It's not as valuable. Maybe the, the square needs to be a little bit smaller I, in the bottom I, corner. I would say literally a little square, a, a square in the top corner and a square in the bo- bottom corner. Bottom corner is just as important as the top corner but, for me. No, but actually, it's not. So this is what's interesting is that the, the traditional uh, philosophy has been that where the goalkeeper makes the most saves by the post is actually halfway up. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's not. Uh, because gravity drags you down. So where the goalkeeper actually makes more saves is low uh, to the post. You know, and as the ball gets higher, gravity loses its impact. And this is something I've never read about, but I've just figured out over time. So we should have a goal is worth one goal if it's three feet or below. A goal is worth two goals if it's between three feet and six feet. A goal is worth three goals if it's above six feet, and that area goes further into the middle of the goal because gravity is more of an influence, you know, because you get dragged down. The minute you start to dive, you're working against gravity. So gravity pulls you into the bottom corner. It, it pushes you away from the top corner. Is this making sense? I'll push yeah, back. but I I'll push back a little I, bit. I don't think I don't think you're right on that one. I think if the ball is in a no, we'll on a, a straight line, line we, we, if the well, keeper is in this mid mid goal, is the keeper's height, so he gets there way quicker than if he's jumping. Did, there. I mean, it's it, further. It's a straight line that is further. This is geometry. Like it, but you it, can't argue it's, that. It's it's. I mean, it would take a lot more analysis to use data to to. To, to, to fetch this out, but keepers aren't, they don't, their starting place isn't from the middle of the goal. And so if a keeper's near the post, they're going to qu- more quickly get to their height on that post than they are uh, to, the, to floor. the floor. If the keeper's further from the post, then gravity does play a, play a role. So it would ha- have an arcing factor. I want to, I want to, I want to talk, I want to put this visual, help the audience listening to us visualize this um recently on our facebook page i think i shared a a video of the first indoor facility we put together um uh um and and that was in 2009 i think did you say we put together (laughs) yeah i think i did carry one board for you that was my baby i think i put carried one board one time still got scars four or five feet isn't field four isn't field four here the same 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 board it was actually a field that that um that challenger sports uh had in their practice i trained on it as a kid yeah and we trained on it you know because i rented it yep Yep. You know, and, you know, it was it was um, the second field that, no, am I in the second or third field 
that um, the challenger put in. I put in the first one, and they put and, and the second one in Bannister that is now closed, you know, indoor facility, and they put in another one in their offices that used to be on the Linux yeah. trading estate, yep. you know, and uh, and I bought that because they they just been sat in storage for years. Yeah, they stuck it in a storage storage container, so I got a bargain price on it, yeah. you know, and I put it in the first facility yeah. that. that you know, our, our prototype indoor but, facility but I shared, that has turned into this wonderful that, concept. That, that was the evolution that I wanted to share with the audience is that, so we started that facility in 2009, and at the time, our club was really small. I had maybe 30 teams, maybe. Um, a team, an age group, most likely would miss an age group here or there, I think on the girls' side a little bit, in the older age groups. We were really, really, really small, and that's where we trained. And we have evolved over the last, what, nearly 15 years to where now we have three facilities in Kansas City. We're currently sat in our flagship facility, which well, hold is... Hold on a second. Yeah. We've got four. We've got another one just about to open. North Kansas City. So this thing is still three, isn't it? Two in the There's only Summit. one in the Summit. Ray no, we have two. Raytown. Golly. How can oh, you forget? God. You worked there. That was the one I put together, hey, hold too. Hold on a second. <laughs> you know, that? He was born there. <laughs> I mean, that's how stupid it is. He was born in Raytown. I and it's the facility that he Three built. Three minutes and from I, the facility. I spent a few weeks building that facility, too. <laughs> and he completely <laughs> forgot it. And he tells you're old, right? <laughs> How? So we have four facilities, but hey, we're you know, just a little side. And my wife came to me the other day, and she said, "I think you're getting Alzheimer's." You know, and so ever since then, I've made a point of pointing out to her when she forgets something. <laughs> you know, and you know, I'm running about hundred to one. I remember a hundred things, and she remembers like one. You know, and she's keep, she keeps forgetting stuff. And I've made a point just over the last couple of weeks since she said, "Just tell the same stories over and over again, so you then never forget." <laughs> oh, so now you're going to really put the narrow in, repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> Let me make my point for the audience. The problem is I tell the same stories so I'm many times I've point. forgotten who I've told them to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Have so, I ever told you this story? Well, but what, yes, yes. yes. But no, she, but you've got to listen again. <laughs> see, see how I start it, though? I do start it with, if I ever told you this story. <laughs> but you forget right? to listen to their answers. Well, I, the I don't even bother to compute who I've told it to. But regardless or whether what, they say yes or no. <laughs> regardless of always say yes or no, you still tell the story. <laughs> um, we're sat currently in our <laughs> flagship, which is 70, <laughs> give or take, 1,000 square feet. We've got four, uh, eight, six, four, eight, six, 14 fields, plus a, uh, two turf training areas, plus nearly 60 box soccer courts, right? It is massive and it's giant. Um, and within this facility, like, right, Philippe and Andy just went on a, um, on a crusade describing the finishing and the, and, and the attention to detail that we as coaches have debating what's the best way to, to, to present these fields to our players to have that, to, for them to gain as much success as they can from the training environment. And this facility and every one of our facilities are packed Monday through Friday from the moment kids get out of school until I'm shutting the baby down, you know, past 10 p.m. on the nights that I run my late sessions, right? And then on the weekends, you know, Friday night it runs all the way till uh, uh, 10 p.m. for games. And then Saturday and Sunday it's, you know, dust till dawn, games all, all day long. Um, and, and, and this environment, the impact that it's had in a positive way on kids – has, has been one where it's been a slow evolution. It started with one field with a few teams, and and if you build it, they will come. And kids started showing up, and parents started getting it. And they got it 
obviously for, for competing different reasons for every specific family, but I think the general reason for the family is the reason that people have got it and continue to come back. And our program has grown from 30 teams 15 years ago to, I mean, what are we now? I couldn't even, 150 100, teams. 150 like, yeah, something like that, right? Like, we didn't buy anybody. We didn't merge with anybody. It's literally all organic growth from programming that we put on. Um, and the reason for it is because... Our focus is on brave, creative leadership for life, on using soccer as a vehicle to, to, to give kids the tools to propel society forward, to always looking to build and grow and change and never having this, let's just settle uh, mentality. Let's just, let's just take what we've got because what we've got is pretty good and, and, and sit on it. Um, and that's why we do the podcast because regardless whether it's here in Kansas City or any city in America we want or in the world, you know, we have listeners from all continents and all we want is more kids playing soccer the right way. The right way, and, yeah. So, you know. so I, I just had this great like analogy that jumped into my head. So um, when I was uh, about uh, 17 18, I was doing an apprenticeship at British Leyland, you know, which was the biggest car manufacturer, I think, in the world at the time. And uh, we had this big car factory on the outskirts of, of Oxford, England. And, uh, you know, I signed up for a four-year apprenticeship to be a buyer. And I went around all the departments, you know, and I learned what they did in all the departments because I might have to be buying stuff for their department when I graduated from the four-year course into actually doing a full-time job there as a buyer. And so um, I went with the foreman to the press shops and I walked into the press shops, never been in a press shop in my life until I walked in with the foreman who uh, you know, was allocated to show me that part of the car manufacturing process. You know, and I walked into this hell on earth environment because there were these 20 and 30 ton presses banging out car panels, hundreds of them banging out car panels from sheet metal. You know, and, you know, and so every 10 seconds, you know, a, a press would trip and come thundering down on this sheet metal, on this die, and punch out a panel for a car. And it was like being in the East End of London during World War II, during the Blitz, with the bombs going off. Bang, bang, bang. You know, and you walk into this environment, what do they give you straight away when you walk into this environment? Uh, earplugs. <laughs> Headphones, okay. you know, you know, they gave you these headsets, you know, to protect your eardrums, you know, and I, ju I just realized we should be dishing out headsets <laughs> at the front door of our indoor soccer facility because I walk into our environment and boom, we've got boom, these, boom, we've got boom. these twenty by twelve boxes, yeah. you know, and and they're thundering shots into the corner of the the bottom corner, the top corner of these boxes, and it's like being in that press shop when I was seventeen, eighteen years of age. It's bang, boom, crash, you know, and it's again and again, and you know, literally we've got a bank of twenty four boxes all in a row on one side of one of the buildings we have in our complex here and there's boxes all the way down you know and it's like a, a grenade going off every two seconds but it's all about giving kids life and not taking any life away like the kids come in and the energy and the, and the in large part because of the noise um is so positive and so um enthusiastic like the it's just it it's uh, I, I can't imagine training in an environment where it's not loud, if that makes sense. Like it's just become par for the course. It, 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 it's a it's a source for energy in my it's sessions. Boring. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, There's actually sure. a, seat, you know, a, a, a chapter in The Lord of the Rings, you know, where um, they describe how, um, you know, Bilbo's down in, in the caverns with the dwarves, you know, and they're all working, you know, at you know, extracting gold, you know, from the from the, uh, you know, the seam of gold deep in these caverns, you know, and it's hot and it's sweaty and it's noisy, you know, and that's what it's like in our facilities. It's hot, it's sweaty, it's noisy, but boy, are the kids learning stuff. Yeah. You know, you come in and you hit a thousand shots. And are they having fun too? They, They love it. You know, you get lost in it. You get that dopamine hit every time you hit a nice shot. You get lost in it, you know. And a four-minute round is, you know, their tongues are dragging at the end of four minutes, you know, and they come and they give you the score and they're panting like a dog that's just run a mile, you know, chasing a rabbit, you know. And, and yet they don't even think about it. You know, they just get a drink and they're, yes, coach, two zero, two zero, zero two, you know, and they give you a score. They get a drink. They're chatting. You know, they're excited. You know, the energy is unbelievable. You know, and, and this is what people don't understand unless they've been part of our club and they've actually come you know, and been in the middle of this atmosphere and parents are welcome. Parents stand and watch their kids from the end of the soccer boxes playing. You know, they're literally at times, you know, they can put a finger through the mesh and touch their kid during practice, but they're totally separated out from this environment, you know, and the parents love it. Because they're actually there, they're involved, they're engaged and they can give some input. You know, as long as it's not stupid and negative, you know, you know, which no, nobody does that. I mean, I, well, what, what we work on is so narrow and so specific that it takes parents all of two minutes to realize the, the objective of every piece of, of, of training that we do. And so, OK, uh, somebody's going to jump on that narrow and specific, you know, and and I don't want you to think, you know, if you're listening to this, that what we work on is not challenging. Good point. You know, it, it's not narrow and specific in terms of challenge. It's a small area. It's a postage stamp like the favelas of Brazil. But there's a massive amount of thought and intelligence and reactions and tactics. Well, it comes back to what we talked about last week or the last episode or two episodes ago, I think, in terms of how we uploaded it. But but it, it's it we work on the most difficult things that are the most efficient so that they have the broadest impact on the greatest, the most important skills and the greatest. So we work on first time shooting because that is also second time shooting, first time passing, second time passing, right? But the actual activities that we do in the session are really obvious what the objective is of of that session. And so- But but, but getting back to this, this is goal mouth stuff. So this is where angels fear to tread. You know, this is the key piece of real estate in an outdoor game is the goal mouth where the most goals are scored. Zone 14. <laughs> is that zone 14? Yeah, that's why the only one I know. It's because the zone 14, so, I think, is like the, the little arch on top of the box. Okay. That's zone 14. Okay. And, and so, you know, we're, we're doing, you know, zone 14 stuff, you know, all the time in our facilities. I got in it to you know, say zone 14. But, but we don't even know there's a zone 14, you know, because it's stupid. Because there's only one zone. <laughs> to us, there's only one it's zone. It's the goal mouth. It's the goal Call mouth. Call it what it is. You know? and, and this is, you know, I laugh because, you know, I, I've got coaching friends that do this. You know, they go into coach speak, you know, and they do it in part and, and, and they've admitted it. Because it sounds good to parents. Oh, yeah, because they can puff out that peacock chest. Yes, it sounds good to parents. Yeah. It sounds like the parent is dealing with an expert, you know, but just because they know what zone 14 is, you know. And, and, you know, and so this gives them this je ne sais quoi, 
you know, this edge of sophistication, <laughs> you know, and and so that's why they're able to charge thousands of dollars a year you know, to get their players to play for them. This is it's rich coming from use. the guy with the English accent walking around impressing everybody with his European <laughs> oh, accent. It's just, uh, <laughs> dude, oh, it's, biggest biggest hoax. It's you know, is it when when I ran super besides clubs, futsal when I ran super clubs all over the country there were British coaches. You know, that hadn't a lick of any phys ed training like, like you know, the guys that I brought over for Challenger Sports yeah. had. They didn't have the phys ed training. They didn't have the higher level playing experience like most of these guys. They certainly didn't have a phys ed degree. And they're getting paid a fortune <laughs> in all of these cities around the country. There was one group in New Orleans of all expats. And, you know, honestly, they were dumbing on a box of rocks. And they were running the biggest club and the most successful club in, in New Orleans at the time. You know, and, you know, I looked at these guys, you know, and I wouldn't have chosen them as friends, you know, in a million years, you know, because, you know, every second word was a cuss word. You know, and I grew out of that a long time ago, even though I grew up in that environment. You know, you know, it just, it wasn't good. You know, and so I ditched it. You know, the minute I knew that that wasn't something that was appropriate, you know, I ditched it and moved on to doing things that were appropriate, communicating in ways that are appropriate, you know. And, and I've never lost that blue collar upbringing and the good things it taught me, but I've ditched a lot of the bad things that were just part of the environment as I was growing up, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and it's as much about what you don't do as what you do, success, you know, and what we don't do is rondos because they go sideways. They go, you know, there, here, here. It's always going around the target, you know, and, you know, and even when you do a penetrating pass, it's a pass. It's not a shot. It's not a finish. It's not the most difficult pass, which is the one that ends up in the corner of the goal, you know, and is that great goal that they talk about for decades, you know, because it won the World Cup, you know. And so why not work on the things that are going to make you the superstar, the Ronaldinho, the Pele, the Diego Maradona, the Zinedine Zidane, you know, why limit a kid's aspirations and horizons by asking them to do a little pity pat thing around a circle and once in a while make an easy pass through the middle? You know, and, and you know, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, you know? just look at the last World Cup final. It was a hat-trick from Messi and a hat-trick from Mbappe. I mean, the, the players two, that grew the, up in toy spaces, the two, the two, were the, the ones two. that dominated. Correct. It's, and and it's been like that throughout history. Like you, you, you can, you know, in it became a thing. I don't know how if England was always like that, but back in the days, the Brazilian league was in a league traditionally. You would play every team would play each other, and then a the top eight would play a play, playoff in, in at the end, and that's how it was up until the the two thousands. With the new structure, uh, again, I don't know if Europe was already like that, but the league structure, it seems like there are have the better players that have the you know maybe the best structure, you know, they have more depth and all that. They will most likely win, you know, those leagues. It gives them more chance. But you look at a Champions League, it's a different story, right? Because it's a playoff. It's you no, know, it's those very very important games. A lot of pressure that they play the. Different players need to sh to you know shy, not sh shine, and you know make the difference. And in those games, you can count time and time again. It's always the Cristiano Ronaldo's, the Messi. That's why Real Madrid, Barcelona won so many times over the decades when the, these guys were there because they had the, the different players. It's not like the other teams were not as good, but. Always those big games are decided by the best players. And yeah, we look at our own kid. 
And we're like, yeah, I'm just a simple guy, a normal guy. My kid is not going to be the next Messi. Like we all tend to look at ourselves and our kids that way. And, and our peers, our family, everybody in your surroundings will be like, yeah, dude, why? You, no, you're not going to. You, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I want to be a professional soccer player. Nobody actually takes that seriously. It's, yep. it's a reality. Uh, nobody takes that seriously. Why? Let the kid dream. So give the reality. kid. <laughs> give the kid give the kids the tools right give the kid and the tools to try to be the best if they try to be messy maybe they'll play for sporting kansas city or an mls team but, but if they try to play for sporting kansas city they're not gonna play for sporting kansas city i, I you gotta know jump in here it's not about soccer you know and that's the subject of my, my my second book legends for life that you know i've just finished rewriting 100 pages of that book you know because this is so important is when people sign up here they think they're signing up to learn the game of soccer no they're learning how to be brilliant in life mm -hmm. you know soccer is just a vehicle to learn how to be a brave creative leader and this is the massive value that other clubs don't even touch and our club digs down so deeply so massively into being a brave creative leader because in front of everybody you've got to do things that no other clubs expect their players to do You know, in our club, you've got to go for it. You've got to take one player, two players, three players on, and you don't just try and run past them. You've got to try and do a drag Maradona to completely create an illusion that makes them run two yards out of the way. You know, when you go in the opposite direction and then you've got time to pick your spot and score an incredibly controlled finish. You know, and, and so and people don't understand that it's about life and there's a thousand ways in which what we do here and the risks we take and the self-belief that are in environment gives every single kid that's what makes them successful in life and it's not because we expect them to be a college player or a pro player it's because when they get to maturity they've got the self-confidence to say I can do what I want to do I can believe in what I want to believe you know I can make a living you know having fun you know doing things that at this point in time I've never done in my life but I might just want to experiment with you know with an eye to doing this as a career because this really looks attractive to me and having the guts to go for it you know and Most success is achieved because somebody had the guts to go for it, not because they had all of the tools when they first went for it. They learned on the way up, you know, and if you look at successful people like Richard Branson, you know, they took risks that were just crazy. The early stories of Virgin Records, you know, and the risks he took, you know, and going and buying secondhand albums from somewhere, taking them to the markets and selling them on the weekend, you know, how he built Virgin Records, you know, was literally, you know, one LP and single at a time when it was vinyl, you know, and just taking the risk to buy and sell and creating this music behemoth you know that had a store as I was growing up there was a virgin store in every high street in every city in Oxford England you know but he learned on the way up you yeah. know he didn't you know do you know virgin airways and you know and virgin space you know whatever you know when he was you know first starting out he had to get a bloody nose hundreds of times in order to be able to do what he's doing now you know and that's what we do here is we ask kids to get bloody noses again and again and again taking people not literally yeah, not literally but you know we ask them to take people on you know and get tripped 
and you know and, and fall you know and that's why we have turf and we don't have tile is because our players fall a lot and when you fall on a futsal court you know you break Ouch. a collarbone you know you know you know whatever you know it's a lot harder to go down so kids don't dribble on futsal courts because when they get tripped it hurts to go down you know kids have no fear dribbling in our fields because they're padded they're cushioned you know so when you hit you don't feel it most of the time you know, it's just a slight bump and you're up again and you go again, you know, and you just get tough without realizing it, you know. So it, it's a whole different mentality, you know, if this all makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, we're wrapping up now, um, but I wasn't going to do it. But you mentioned futsal. I watched a few futsal clips on my social media lately because a lot of people I know are having their kids play futsal. Like I'm just challenging everybody that watches this and just to be super clear. Um, playing futsal is better than playing baseball um, from a soccer development perspective, but playing futsal is not better than playing soccer from a soccer development perspective. And I say that next time you're at a futsal match or next time you find it on online, watch it and watch how slow the ball moves. It rolls so slowly from one player to the next. And like, how do we improve our speed of play when we put a heavier ball in front of our kids that moves slower as they dribble it, shoot it, and pass it? And it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's the biggest ruse in, in American soccer. Futsal wasn't designed to make players better. Futsal was designed to save the facilities yeah, yeah, you know, know. in Uruguay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they started futsal, yeah. you know, and a lot of the audience don't know this, you know, and, and you know, when they started futsal, it began in Uruguay, in Montevideo, to be exact, you know, and, you know, the, the conversation wasn't about how do we make the players better? The conversation was about how do we stop them breaking windows? Yeah. You know, and so it was to preserve the facilities so that, you know, they, they took, you know, 60% of the bounce out of the ball made it a smaller ball so you know it wasn't such a heavy t- you know ball and would break the you know the the window you know so they made it smaller and they took 60% of the bounce out and there's a whole story way back in another episode about my, my daughter we've, had never played we've football done it. We've done it. and, yeah, and yeah. made the national team played for the USA and the very first football game she ever played was for the USA national team why? Because she'd always played box soccer. She'd played one-on-one, two-on-two in a box. She'd played on these tiny fields all the time growing up in the Legends concept, in the Legends environment. And when she played futsal, she walked off of the court after trying out in Wisconsin, you know, for the, you know, to get to the final trial, which was actually in Kansas City, you know, and she walked off the field and she said, Dad, this is easy because it moves so much slower than playing in our facility and playing box soccer, you know, and playing with limited space with a real ball, you know, you know, that has that extra 60% bounce made it so easy for her to control and dribble a futsal ball, you know. So, you know, and over the years, you know, coaches that, you know, the, you know, the guy that used to, you know, that the, like still owns U.S. futsal, John Perry, he, you know, he, he would say, no walls here, you know, and it was a total hoax, because walls with a real ball give you the chance to play a wall pass and time your pass perfectly so that it comes off of the wall at an angle that allows you to get behind the defender, get it back and put it in the goal. It's the best wall pass training you can ever get because the ball comes back. If you hit it right, the ball comes back exactly where you want it to. You know, and if you're hitting it to a teammate like in futsal, because the ball goes out of play and wastes time in futsal, you know, so you've got to hit a wall pass to the teammate in futsal, the ball doesn't come back the way you want it to because the teammate doesn't get the right touch the wall always gets the right touch if you hit it the right way the wall always gives you the ball back the way you deserve it you know and so so futsal just doesn't cut it when it comes to developing great players you know because it wasn't designed to develop great players having said that 
it's better than most other indoor options during the winter. So if you don't have, you know, box soccer courts and small boarded fields like we have here, you know, that can increase, that can double the technical skills of your player during those winter months, futsal might be the only option. And that's all you, that's all you can do. You know, so you have to And you should do, do it. it then. And you should do it then. Yeah. But it's only because it's the only alternative and it's a poor only alternative, you know, to what yeah. we do here. It's not because it's better than what we do here. Yeah. And I could have put futsal courts in here. They would have lasted a lot longer than the turf. The futsal court lasts forever, you know, and, you know, but I decided not to because of the developmental value, a great cost, thousands and thousands of dollars extra because it's more developmental to have turf and it's safer to have turf. And we want our players to go for it without fear of falling flat on a hard floor, you know, and having a nasty bruise at the very minimum. Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. I think the worst is when ki young kids go to us and say, hey, we need to go play outside. That's for me, is the worst because I think, I, I mean, do you remember the 7v7 first year at Hardland or even the kids that play up a year to play a year early? I mean, the, the, the field looks like a farm. Like, it's so, <laughs> so big. big yeah. It's like the, the kid touches the ball once every seven minutes. It's 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 not it's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, and I, that's when I think you know what we have is the best. But like up to a certain age, it's better than outdoors too, because outdoors is too much space. They never touch the ball. Yeah. There are no walls. You know, it's even slower because they don't touch the ball. And, and I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, and I walked up and I was like, "Wow, this is huge." I feel that way about the Overland Park soccer complex these days, you know, the Shields soccer complex. You know, I walk up to the soccer complex and I get out to a field and I'm like, wow, this is huge, <laughs> you know. But you don't touch the ball very much in huge areas, yeah. you know. So you're not going to develop, and you're certainly not going to develop that ability right in front of goal. Yeah. What's the zone? 14. Zone 14, <laughs> come on. Um, all right, uh, as we wrap up, uh, last message I want to make sure you hear at home. Um, we've talked a lot about our facilities today. This was totally an unscripted episode, by the way. I mean, we scripted one. We just never touched it. Um, uh, but if there's one message we want you to get from this conversation today is come visit us. Like You're welcome, all of you, anybody listening, anytime. Send Andy, Philippe, or I a message on social media or through email, and we will happily welcome you and give you personal tours, have you come watch our sessions here in Kansas City at our facility, um, or just reach out if you've got questions. Um, uh, we're, we're eager to interact. Actually, we, we spent before recording a, uh, a few minutes talking about some of the people that reached out just in the last week and questions they'd answered and, and, and how we'd gotten them some information. So we'd and, love and to interact with you as well. That most of the year is empty now because I've only got two kids in, in college. You know, so you can you know, stay at Andy's house. From a combination of, of eight kids at one time, you know, running through this house, you know, we've now got, you know, two for just, a, you know, a month or two a year, if that. You know, so we've got these bedrooms available. You know, and you know you can stay for free. Andy's you know, bed and breakfast. You know, you you can even get English cooked bacon and. But if it rains, you got you. If it rains, you got to do like Sammy and go spin in the rain. <laughs> Very good, Philippe, Andy. Uh, another great episode. Thanks, guys. Uh, everybody, we'll see you next time. Yeah. See ya.